Hey everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's Patreon channel. As I have mentioned multiple times, it is always such a great honor when people are willing to come do silly little character-focused episodes with me on this channel. I am so honored to have Anna Papard back uh, with me and Jordan White as well. Jordan and I just recorded uh, our episode on X-Men Season 1 a few days ago, and it's so fun to get to hang out twice this week. Uh, for our listeners who may not know either of you, although they likely do because you guys are great, uh, tell us where people might know you from, and I would love to hear a little bit about your origins with uh, X-Men and or Excalibur because we're going to be focused on these are my words you don't have to share my opinions but the best uh, butch lesbian in space uh, Miss Great Crasher herself <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, let me start with Jordan hi Jordan hi uh, I am uh, a senior editor at Marvel Comics I currently work on the X-Men books although I've worked on a whole bunch of things in my time at Marvel I've been there 15 years, not as a senior editor the whole time, obviously, but from all the working all the way up from assistant editor all the way up to where I am. Um, my my origin with X-Men is my origin with Excalibur because Excalibur is my intro to X-Men. I mean, not literally in the sense that I'm sure I was heard of the X-Men or read a random comic here or there, but the thing that got me interested in X-Men was Excalibur. Uh, the, the very first Excalibur comic I got was a comic that... Uh, a friend of mine gave me uh, that they had gotten from someone giving it away at Halloween, uh, giving out comics at Halloween. And it was the issue. Oh my God. I'm okay. You, usually with Excalibur, I'm pretty good with issue numbers, but I'm not great with issue numbers in general. I'm going to say issue four with the janitor on the cover. Is that right? Oh, I remember. Yeah. That's yeah. That's definitely issue number four. <laughs> great, great. I, I I didn't embarrass myself yet. Um, so issue four with the janitor on the cover talking, describing what's not on the cover, but is on the inside. It's an issue with, Excal with uh, Excalibur fighting at Arcade, who also rules. It was a just such an awesome introduction to the comic that I that is probably the 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 tone that I love most in comics, which is you can have fun and then there's also consequences. You know, f fun and still serious things could like the world could still end, but it's fun and it doesn't take place in joke world. You know, it's it's a world where humor happens, but it's not a world where everything is a gag. Um, and it works that it walks that line perfectly for me. And when that happened, I'm trying to think that was it wasn't when it came out. It was not a new comic when I got it. It wasn't like a super old comic. The com Excalibur was still coming out. I think around that time. I was able to get into the current comics. It was just before Alan Davis came back to Excalibur, uh, which is probably the best part of the entire series. Uh, but it was just before that. So it was the ones where the really weird ones where they teamed up with the, the West Coast Avengers and went to limbo. <laughs> uh kate got the soul sword and it was it had some real funky art that i don't remember who the artist was on that but it was really really weird art and and it's also where if i remember correctly they established that megan's shape-shifting she could just have the powers of anyone she shapeshifts into like she just turns into the silver surfer and has silver surfer power and it's like what what that's broken but okay sure um and right around then i again i was just like i want all of them i want all the comics and so that series became the series that I was trying to track down every issue of. Because back then, again, I'm old. Back then, comics 
weren't a thing that you could buy online because there was no online. They weren't a thing you could read digitally. And there weren't really trade collections. There weren't really collected editions of books. So I was going and digging through back issues of every comic book store I went to uh, and going, oh my God, here's a random issue I've never been able to buy before. Let me get this one. Uh, and I was able to track down the entire series. I, I was really, really excited because I mean, I was always a big Spider-Man fan, but there was no way I was going to get every issue of Amazing Spider-Man. I wasn't even going to try. I was like, I'll buy as many as I can, but I was like, it's not going to happen. Like, I, I never thought I could. With Excalibur, I was like, this is attainable. Um, and I just loved it. Why? Again, it's mostly that tone. And then the characters were just so much fun. Um, you know, uh, you could say what you want about about the 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 the, the the great stuff that Chris Claremont did and the stuff that he did that was that was a little groany, but he made those characters so vibrant in those early issues and so much fun that I, like many, many, many young boys, fell in love with Kate Pride a million percent. Um, she was an older woman at the time, whereas now I am like more than twice her age. So that's weird. But <laughs> there you go. Uh, Nightcrawler was just so exciting. I immediately loved him. Um, at the time, I I hated Brian because his role in that series was to be like the the jerk. But <laughs> in the time since then, I have absolutely fallen for him. Megan was always a delight, and Rachel was awesome. So those characters were so good and so enthralling to me that when over time Excalibur stopped being Excalibur, um, unfortunately, way too soon in my opinion. But when it stopped being that book, and those characters started moving to x-men again i was like well that, I'm, i want to follow those characters and then also backwards in time to when they were in x-men before that and um that's how i got interested in x-men was following kate and, and kurt around basically um uh, i was i was so bummed i had a subscription i got a subscription to excalibur right before it became bad <laughs> <laughs> so, right before it became not Excalibur is what I mean, by which I mean when it became part of the X-Men line again. Uh, and I was really excited because, again, I loved Excalibur. So it was going they were going, oh, we're going to actually fold Excalibur into the line. It's going to be part of the X-Men again. And I was like, oh, that's great. Thinking like, of course, I want all the rest of the X-Line to reflect this thing that I love in it. And it was like, no, it's going to stop being that kind of i mean there was still sparks of it there i'm not going to say the entire run was bad after alan davis left it's, it wasn't there's some great stuff obviously uh warren ellis did some awesome stuff and, and whatnot but um but it just it was very palpable like and i had and again i had a subscription at that time so it was getting mailed to me and i was going oh this isn't it oh britannic what's this no what happened <laughs> <laughs> We went from the Warpies to Britannic. It was a, a, a massive tone <laughs> shift. Uh, Anna, how about you? Same question. Tell people oh, a little I mean, bit about where we know you from and then just kind of where your love of Excalibur developed. Yeah, I mean, I'm a comic scholar primarily, so I'm an academic who studies comics and teaches comics. Dream gig, if you can get it. I don't get paid enough, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I often look at issues of representation in comics, and I have a whole podcast about Excalibur called the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, where we're going through analyzing each and every issue through kind of the lens of comic scholarship with my friends and colleagues, uh, Dr. Andrew DeMann and Dr. Christopher Maverick, with lots of comic scholar and critic guests talking with us about every single issue of that series. What are we at now? Releasing... Excalibur number 103 
uh, at the time of this recording. So wow. we've gone through a lot of Excalibur issues, been doing it for a couple of years. Anna's and, doing uh, for Excalibur what I've done for the Silver Age. And uh, I can't wait to get where you are. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Excalibur was not was not my intro to X-Men comics. I came to it relatively late, but it became the one that is very much the comic after my heart. I mean, there's a reason I started a podcast about it. So much of what I love about it extends from the reasons I love Nightcrawler prior to Excalibur. My um, co-host on Gosh Golly Wow, Dr. Andrew DeMann, is doing a, a biography of Claremont and interviewed him recently. And he pitched to Claremont. He was like, Chris pushed back on a lot of my things. <laughs> but the one thing that he agreed on and that he said I got just right is my theory that Excalibur is a trauma support group masquerading mm. as sex farce. <laughs> which i think that's what i primarily love about nightcrawler anyway <laughs> because like that's he's awesome. a character who like is so centrally defined by trauma like so many of the x-men but sort of responds with humor and actually gets in a lot of sort of picaresque sexual situations a lot of time in his early comics and that's sort of extended into excalibur right and the way that that team is founded in trauma and yet defined by hope yeah. And so, yeah, like dealing with those dynamics in the podcast is something we end up going back to a lot. And yeah, I mean, Jordan was just so after my own heart and all the things that you said about it. I would just be repeating what you said oh. in terms of that tone being so wonderful and what I'm always looking for in, in a modern comic. One of my um, my, my co-host on one of my previous podcasts, the Sailor Business podcast, uh, Chris Sims, he was not a fan of Excalibur. And when I was asking him why, I was probably on one of the podcast episodes. I don't even remember though. Um, he he told me, it, he was like, cause it was just like Marvel's ripoff of the, of the justice league of that era of the fun justice league. And I was like devastated to hear that because also, first of all, I, I also love that. Like le I read it again much later, but I think it's great. Cause again, it's fun, but then there's still stakes. Like stuff still happens that, that like, but I was like, oh, no, is that true? <laughs> I guess I could see it a little bit, but I don't know. I still think Excalibur is way better. My journey to all I this think... was very different. I was just going to say really quickly, I started with X-Force from like my grocery store spinner rack mm. and then found like my local coffee shop, excuse me, comic shop in rural Idaho, which was like a bit of a drive. And then I'm like, well, I can pick up X-Men, but then also maybe Uncanny X-Men and then Cable. And then, well, I may as well grab a couple issues of Excalibur too. And I remember uh, my first one, I think was Excalibur 71. And uh, suddenly I was just buying everything and I could afford none of it. And just this whole universe opened up and it was amazing. So those marketing ploys of like the crossovers were like, you had to start buying all the back issues and then pick up everything else if you wanted to know what was there uh, really worked. And it wasn't until later that I found the early Excalibur run. And it's just so zany. It's just so crazy. And let me introduce this for just a second. Claremont, when he started, and I know I won't be super thorough here, was writing a lot of different stuff for Marvel. And he gets really attached to the stuff he writes. He brings in the characters that he loves back into the X-Men franchise over and over and over again. He did it with Misty Knight and he did it with Iron Fist and he did it with Mystique and Rogue and Ms. Marvel. And there's all these characters he writes. The Ungarai appear in another title, Belasco from Kazar, right? Like there's all these places that get pulled into the X-Men franchise. And he created Captain Britain in 1976 with Herb Trimpey. Uh, it's a crazy, zany, really wild set of adventures about the national hero of Great Britain 
And uh, he has all sorts of alter earth counterparts and there's magic and supervillains and like really high consequences because it's it's silly. But then also people are getting their eyes cut out and like uh, like mm. people getting stabbed through the center. And uh, that early Captain Britain stuff is really fun. And then Claremont brought him into Marvel team up with Arcade. And then we had these adventures kind of start to seed in, leading him to him launching uh, Excalibur in the later 80s, right? Uh, so there's a there's a lot of history that we won't take time to cover, but uh, but it's a whole different corner of the Marvel Universe that I think a lot of fans haven't read. Uh, people who have read early Excalibur probably have not read early Captain Britain, which is also a really fun thing. And the book comes right out of that. Uh, Anna, you probably have a lot of thoughts on this. And I know you've explored a lot of this on your show, but it's a it's a fun era of Marvel history for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, wild, because early Excaliburs will often call back to that at a time when readers would have had no way. I mean, American readers would have had no way to access that material, which is hilarious. It's like the secret continuity that <laughs> only the writers knew. There was a Davis and Delano uh, collected edition of Captain Britain that, that I got <clears throat> ages ago, like, again, before before it was a thing that things were collected in that way. And I, I was so, I felt so fortunate to have it because again, it was very hard to find and no one had it. And so reading, it didn't have any of the Alan Moore stuff, but it had all the stuff that the two of them did. So it had him meeting Megan and it had them, their, their, their romance and it had Betsy losing her eyes and all that stuff. And that, that's when I really started liking Brian, because again, like he he they make him such a heel for so much of Excalibur. And so much so that Alan Davis, as he is wont to do in that series, felt the need to explain it. He felt the need to go, there's a the in-story reason that he was not like he used to be. <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, those books were those books were inc incredible. And honestly, it's a bit surprising that so many of the things that Claremont used in Excalibur, like the technet and like gate like gate crasher didn't weren't his those were were created correct like th those they are created by uh dave uh davis and delano right yes i believe so so um, it is kind of interesting that they he totally fell for them so much and brought them back so often in in, in so many different series so we're here to talk today about Gatecrasher. Gatecrasher comes in in the second volume of Captain Britain in 1985. Jamie Delano and Alan Davis, who are both British uh, incredible creators. You've likely heard of Alan Davis. X-Men fans may be less familiar with Jamie Delano, but worth learning about. And again, we'll get to this stuff on my show eventually, and I'll give this a lot more space, but both just incredible creators. And there's a lot of this, stuff. That's a, there's going to be a really long time before you get to Captain Britain volume two. <laughs> you know, I'm jumping into the early '70s on my show pretty quick, and once we get there, we're gonna we're gonna start moving through it. It's it's all right. We'll get there. This is '85. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm I'm optimistic, and I play a long game. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, uh, Jordan, I'm gonna ask a big question of each of oh. you. To introduce the concepts, Jordan. What is uh, Earth six one six? Oh, delightful. Uh, Earth 616 is uh, the Marvel universe that we read about typically in a Marvel comic. The one that the FF went up the rocket in, in the rocket in on FF number one, the one that Spider-Man got bitten by the spider in, the one that we've all read about for the most part when we're not reading about yet another alternate reality. Uh, it, as far as I am aware, uh, it was, okay, was it actually... 
for some reason, I'm getting confused as to whether it was Alan Moore who called, who named it 616 by naming him Captain Britain 616, or whether it was a writer right before him on Captain Britain. But we call it 616 because uh, of Captain Britain, because in the Captain Britain Corps, every Captain Britain has a number designation for their universe, and they are Captain Britain, that number. So Brian Braddock, as we see in Excalibur, is Captain Britain 616, and therefore our universe is universe 616. What's interesting about that is that I, I think it speaks a lot to Excalibur and and Captain Britain being like <laughs> like like comic nerds comics like for real because <laughs> because we latched onto that number from this comic that again was never a huge seller it was never a hugely popular comic but over time I mean again I love it right and and when I talk to my creators that I hire to do X books, most of the time they're like, "Yeah, old Excalibur, it's amazing. Like it is an extremely beloved cult comic, I guess, and that, therefore effective." Um, not everyone who works at Marvel is a fan of this designation of six one six. I I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit out of school and just tell you, Tom Brevoort, not a fan. And as far as he was concerned, when Secret Wars happened. That was the end of that. He was like, it is, it's no longer 616. We destroyed Earth 616. And now there is a new number. It, it's not, it's it now there is it's not a number. It's just the prime Marvel universe. It doesn't have a number. And I was like, mm. and other editors like Nick Lowe were like, mm. and Nick Lowe, I think, is the one who broke the seal on it because he was doing the um the Spider-Verse comics where they actually were again jumping universe to universe and they needed a way to designate those. And he was just like, yeah, it's 616. And I and I said, because I and I said Tom, I was like, Tom, I know I know you're not gonna want to do a comic. You don't want to do comics about comics and you don't want to put out bad comics. So the only way to get rid of 616 would be literally to have a scene in a comic where somebody goes, you know, this used to be Earth 616, but now it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and since they you're not of, gonna do that they kind of did that at the end of hickman's secret wars where they like reset the universe and it's like now it's now it's like earth prime but it, we just but they did it mostly in captions right exactly they did it mostly in captions like it wasn't like a scene of dialogue where things happened and the other thing was he used to say it wasn't the 661st 616th created so why would it be and i always go we've never explained why it's 616 maybe it vibrates at 616 universe hertzes or something I also, like <laughs> i also love that every planet in all of the different realities like agree to the same number designation like you guys are 616 will be 617 like i mean cracks me up it's like some database out there the galactic well, presumably celestials yeah. came up with i don't know it's just merlin had a very strong will and he told everybody fall in line and they all were like yeah i guess we will so along the same lines, Anna, uh, will you tell us what the Captain Britain Corps is? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, they safeguard uh, the interests of the British Isles in a vague sense. I mean, it really depends who's writing it, um, what they are. They have been used to do various things. I mean, Alan Moore was really concerned at various times with exploiting some of the colonial imperial implications of sort of that identity and working through some of that stuff. Later writers have been less interested in that and more interested in the multiversal mystical aspect of it, though more is interested in both of those things as well. 
<laughs> but but yeah, I mean, it's a vague and flexible concept that you can do a lot of things with, which I think is what makes it really interesting. And I'm going to defer to saying that about it because it is a complicated concept that does a lot of different things depending on the comic. It's a lot easier to understand in the last couple of years because modern audiences are accustomed to like the Spider-Verse now mm -hmm. and also the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, this idea of all these alternate designations. But Captain Britain has a variation of like him in every different reality, but they also team up together, very Spider-Verse-like. And everyone is a little different, just like we have Peter Parker in most of the realities but in some in some realities it's Miles Morales and in others it's Gwen Stacy or maybe a T-Rex you know <laughs> so with with the Captain Britain corpse we also get a lot of that it might be uh you know an alternate Brian Britain in one place Brian Brian Braddock in one place but like a dog in another place or a swan as in the modern comics so we can I'm sure there's one named Brian Britain it's I'm sure that's the case <laughs> so when we I mean but it's it's again it's also it's got to have been a rip off of the Green Lanterns, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because Green Lanterns were first, so that was that was. Did Alan Moore create the the core as well? I... He creates a lot of things, so maybe whoever whoever did it, whether it was Alan or not, um, yeah, like the Green Lantern core was just sectors of the universe, and this was like we'll expand that out to universes themselves, entire universes. The, we also, but, have... but you're right. We also have the the concept of other world. Uh, Anna, do you want to give us the the one paragraph explanation of other world? There's a lot of stuff that goes oh, like boy. ties into these characters. <laughs> this is a test today. I didn't know I was going to be quizzed on all of these things. I brought in the experts, um, man. <laughs> well, other world has a lot of various things going on. I mean, it's got connections to sort of mythological concepts of fairy world. Um, which is interesting. It's got connections to a lot of British mythology and folklore. Merlin obviously features. You have various guardians of other world, including Roma, who is the daughter of Merlin, I believe, um, and Opaluna Saturnine, who is the omniversal Majestrix, who also has a role there doing various things, sometimes sort of doing good things, more often doing nefarious things. And yeah, it is a space that you can, again, use to explore a lot of different things. I mean, I'm very interested in the way a lot of different folklores get incorporated there. And I think it can be a really interesting way to sort of explore the British identity of sort of the Captain Britain, sort of, ex what do I want to call it? I, want, I was going to say like the Captain Britain extended universe. I don't know if that's like a good way to refer to it, but um but That's yeah, what the Marvel like comics the... is in general. That's, that's how, that's I know, how it is. I know. <laughs> But like, I mean, the concept of it being a fairy world is interesting, right? Because like in sort of the mythological concept of a fairy world, there's often sort of a threat to that space, like as well as sort of a power and an intrigue to that space. And other world often functions sort of that way as well. Like you can kind of get sucked into that space and it can be very terrifying, but it's also very wondrous. And sort of those those ideas are often in tension in that space. And again, it's a little easier to understand if you've watched like the recent Spider-Verse movie where you see kind of the same concept of all the different Spider-Men at the end from different realities. And they have like one central headquarters, which is the other world space, basically. We're oversimplifying. Yeah, yeah. And the Green Lantern Corps has this as well, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so there's a lot of concepts that layer into this. You guys, I promise these are really fun reads, even though it's really complicated. So there's this giant multiverse. We're in uh, 19... And by the way, uh, Jordan, I just looked up. It was Alan Moore and Alan Davis who created the core in the Daredevil I... series in 1980. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, so there's a big multiverse. There's a guy named Captain Britain, K-A-P, uh, Captain, and B-R-I-T-O-N. And his real name I, is Byron. I'm sorry, I just got to say, I love the idea that there's other universes, they just spell the same words different. <laughs> it sounds the same, it just has different letters. That's the main difference. Instead of Brian Braddock, <laughs> we have Byron Braddock. Uh, look it up. We'll, you can. I'm not going to spell it out for you. But he's from Earth 794, and he's the lover of uh, the Saturnine of that world who is the version of Courtney Ross in that world. And in our world, Courtney Ross at the time is the girlfriend of our Brian Braddock. Anyway, this version of Captain Britain with a K is a little bit sadistic. And he goes to our world 616 for some adventure and he's awful. And his world Saturnine hires an extra dimensional mercenary group called the TechNet to go after him. So this is kind of where our story opens. And it gets kind of complicated, but it's a ton of fun. Let's talk about Gatecrasher's appearance for just a minute. Gatecrasher, and of course, this word implies somebody who shows up at the party uninvited, uh, is very tall. I'm picturing her at like seven and a half, eight feet. She is bold. She is confident. She is so sexy, but also super muscular, like very thick, like with two C's, uh, big biceps. She's giving me like Queen Latifah as Mama Morton energy, but also kind of Ursula, but also kind of like the devil wears Prada. Like she's a savvy businesswoman who like stands for no nonsense, but also has a lot of nonsense around her. Uh, she's light blue skin. Uh, she wears this like sexy black and red fashion number, purple helmet with like white inlay, black ornamentation, makeup, pink bracelets. She's got like mild telepathic powers, a ton of weapons, and she's got this whole crazy mercenary group called the TechNet that follow her. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on Gatecrasher's appearance? Because she's unlike any other character out there. I, I love her very much. <laughs> I love I love her physiology. Yeah, like she, I think she has Nightcrawler or Ninja Turtle hands, right? She only has three yeah, fingers. Three fingers. Uh huh. Um, and I love her stump feet. She's got like like <laughs> elephant or hippo feet, right? <laughs> yeah, they kind of do look like who's. It's sort of unclear if that red thing on the front is part of her outfit or it it does look hoof ish. Um, I, I think the fact that Megan is constantly calling her a hippo. Uh, <laughs> makes me think of them as like hippo feet, um, but yeah, they're they're really fascinating. I, it like definitely as a young person uh, who couldn't draw that well, there's definitely an appeal to having feet that are just big lumps at the end, so you don't have to draw the feet. Um, yeah, and she's she's always got uh, she's got great expressions. She's she's very confident. Uh, and she always looks it, you know? Like, she's hilarious, but exudes confidence, but also don't fucking mess with this woman, right? Like, she will stomp yeah. your head in. Uh, Anna, what are your thoughts on uh, on Gatecrasher's appearance? Well, she's a character I'm fascinated with to the extent that, I mean, I'm fascinated with the depiction of bodies in superhero comics anyway. I mean, kind of the themes of transformation and bodily expression that come up again and again in the genre are a central thing that appeals to me about it. Although we never have as many diverse body types as I would like in this space, and I know a lot of people feel similarly, and particularly with female characters, right? I mean, they tend to kind of revert to a particular type of character. And I mean, that's not just on superhero comics, that's our culture in general, of course, right? I'm not just blaming superhero comics for this. Um, so when we have a villainous character, that's where we usually have like all the quote unquote undesirable kind of bodily traits offloaded onto those characters, right? Because that's how we know that they're evil. So this is an interesting character in as much as she's not 
a very unusual body for a female character in this space and she's ostensibly villainous but she also gets to be very glamorous and she also gets to be i won't say heroic um, at points but she certainly gets a lot of sympathy attached to her in as much as there are a lot of issues that we're going to talk about today in which she is actually a point of view character and gets to be a protagonist some of the time including in like a really interesting like <laughs> story about apartheid <laughs> in which she is the point of view character and it's a wild choice to have that through the lens of that character but it shows the affection that some creators have for this character that she could just be this one note joke villain, but she's really not. There's a lot of complexity to this character. And I think it starts with the appearance, right? Because as you're saying, like a lot of characters make comments about her being a quote unquote fat character. She is called a blimp by numerous people in some of her early appearances, which, you know, <laughs> I have some complex feelings about, but what I like is that gay crasher never responds to those insults in a way that gets her down like she is proud of her body it is represented again through the visualization of the character she's large but she's very strong and we keep coming back to that word glamorous right i mean alan davis is very deliberate to give her like the eyeshadow the long eyelashes like everything about this character is deliberate she's wearing like a cutout like top that exposes part of her midriff and yeah i just love all the different things that are going on with this character in terms of again, her being the kind of body that we often don't get in this space and having a surprising amount of complexity. Because, I mean, I think about think about a character like Big Bertha from, like, Great Legs Avengers, right? Oh, geez. Sort of like a character <laughs> like that often gets yeah. played as a joke, right? And Gatecrasher is not that. You know, some characters comment on her size and appearance in a negative way, but she responds to it almost ignorantly. Like, she's got no idea why anyone would respond to her that way because she is so proud of her strength and her appearance and all of the things that make her her. And I think that's part of what fascinates me about her as a character. Again, she could be so simple, but she's more complex than you expect. She's got I think we're f Oh, go ahead, Jordan. Well, I was going to say, I think we're fortunate that they're able to get away with that in an era where that isn't common because she's an alien, right? Like, I think yeah. there's no way you get a character like this who's just a, a, a human woman. Like, it just doesn't happen. Um, but because she is an alien and they can play that as like, oh, it's because like she, she doesn't, she's weird, she's different from us, that yeah, they can just have her walk in like she owns the place um, in a way that no other character who looks like that oops sorry about that no other character who looks like her uh could in that time um and i think it works out great it works out great for us so we kind of get three layers of stories with her from my perspective and i know it's more complex than this but she's often a joke character because she's got this zany band of mercenaries and they want to tell a funny story but she's also like the very serious businesswoman and part of that is her trying to like keep control of what that business looks like. There's there's stories about her team rebelling against her and her trying to get control. And then every once in a while, you get a little bit of vulnerability with her. Uh, most recently in the Rocket series, which we'll talk about, there's like a little bit of heart, but there's never any backstory. Uh, the Ursula energy is alive and real for this character, though. So if you love Ursula from The Little Mermaid, you will love this character. I'm gonna oh, describe. Sure. I'm gonna describe the tech net really quickly. These are all really zany characters. Think like the Imperial Guard, where every member is just some weird variation of something. We've got a guy named Yap, who's like a little lizard guy that rides around on her neck. 
And one of the gags with this character is Yap is always calling her mother. And she's like, I'm not mother. But he's like the Lila Cheney of the group. He can teleport the team vast distances. He's also the tracker. Sometimes he's called Bone Bag. Uh, we've got a character. I think she's just being mean, though. I don't think that's his name. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm the handbook guy. He, it's listed as an official alias. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh all right. Uh, we've got a character whose initial name is Fascination. Uh, she later goes by Scatterbrain. Uh, she's got like big drag queen energy, yellow skin, green hair, uh, big earrings. Demanda Martini's done a look of Scatterbrain before. So look up Demanda's social uh, social media if you'd like. Uh, and she can zap the nervous systems of her enemies and like feeds on emotional energy. She also never speaks as far as I know. Uh, there's a guy named Thug who's like a little green orc looking guy who's super strong. There's Pandora who is literally a sens sentient slime inside of a metal ball that will consume things when released. Uh, there's Pharaoh, which is like the scientific word for iron, who's this kind of sexy furry guy in a gold costume. He's got like nightcrawler energy a little bit, four, four arms and he's holding a sword. Uh, there's a guy named Elmo who's like a little jellyfish that can drain your energy. There's a guy named Paradox. Uh, who is a weird kind of open-faced guy who can fire energy bolts. And then a guy named Ringtoss, who's a, a, a woman named Ringtoss, who's in a gold bodysuit with a hole in her face that fires energy rings. I know I covered all of that really quickly, but do you guys have thoughts on the te tech net? It's a weird team, but I love them. Well, I first of all, I, I think that uh, I love the... I, I mean, I'm, I'll be honest with you. Most of the time, I think of them as a group. Um, you know, we, we we talked about doing a character here, and it's like, well, if you're going to pick someone from the Technet, you're going to pick Gatecrasher. But um, like, they almost always appear together. They they has she ever appeared without them? I don't think she has. Um, not not significantly, anyway. No, not significantly. Um, because they are kind of a unit. I mean, and and you talk about how. Um, you know, so we don't get a lot of backstory and we don't like, but I love the fact that like when they show up, a lot of times there's like, um, I don't know. It's one of those like hints at a larger world that we're not aware of. There's like this intergalactic slash galactic slash interuniversal, I guess, like mercenary economy that we are kind of getting snippets of and going like, what, what is, what is this? Oh, and they send messages from the future and they, they leave each other all the time and then they come back and then they, this and that and the other thing. And then they, they have warranties. Does that mean Pharaoh is a robot? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um, I will say they're, and they're all great. Um, they're all very, I mean, they're all simple, you know, they're all relatively easily understood. They have straightforward power. They come and they do their power and then they're done. Like, got it. Um, you mentioned Elmo. Uh, I, like I, what I, this is one that confused me because he, to me, he looks like Elmo is just waxwork, but like a little different and his powers are different, but they look pretty much the same. And I was like, is that a screw up? Did like, did 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 Chris go? Oh, his powers are this now, and it's like oh, that's not what his he did. His so, deal was Elmo, if I'm remembering, was killed in one of the early encounters, and then they brought Waxworks in later. So it's but like they, they look have the a couple same. Members. Oh well, <laughs> yeah, because there's because there's Pharaoh, but then Pharaoh too. Right. Like there's a couple members that come in later because they've been replaced. Which, which so again, then maybe like a very Imperial Guard kind of thing. So then maybe Fascination also died, and Scatterbrain is a new <laughs> lady who looks the same and does the same thing. <laughs> Uh, Anna, what are your thoughts on uh, TechNet? Well, yeah, I mean, they're designed to be visually fun. <laughs> I mean, Davis designs these characters and he clearly designed what he wanted to draw, what he thought would look great, be visually innovative, be fun, be wacky, and be very alien, as Jordan was saying, right? 
I mean, the thing that I find interesting about them, and this is something we've talked about over on my podcast, is the way their powers are specifically geared to, like, humiliation in a lot of ways. Because it's not just that they fight you, they end up doing something gross and humiliating to you. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, that's great for comedy, but it's also part of, I think, like, the existential terror of these characters in some ways, because they are so truly alien. Like, they're going to do stuff like... (laughs) I mean, this is sort of how the characters kind of evolve in their second appearance, but a character like Waxworks, who we already mentioned, I mean, turns your body to jelly. You know, you've got a character that swallows you. You've got, like, Joy Boy, who's like a whole thing. Oh, yeah, we'll get to Joy Boy. One <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of the weirdest Marvel characters. They're funny and time. terrifying. They're funny and terrifying, sort of in equal measure. And I think that's what makes them so fascinating. And I love what Jordan said, too, about them suggesting a whole world beyond that because we get a lot of those hints of backstory with Gatecrasher in particular too right I know there's a later issue of Excalibur I think Excalibur 42 maybe when uh, Technet comes back at the start of Davis's run mm-hmm. where one of the interdimensional sort of police guys is like oh yeah. I've had a lot of dealings with Gatecrasher before <laughs> and you know you got these little hints of backstory seated that make these characters so fascinating so it, uh, oh go ahead oh uh but I, but I was going to say, but as weird and as kind of gross as they are, like, I also love that they're, they have that quality of like, this is just their job too. You know, like, it's not personal for any of them. They're just, oh, you know, and, and, and they don't find it weird. It's not like they're going, oh yeah, yeah. body bag is so gross. They're just like, no, this is what we, this is what we do. Body bag comes in and spits all over you and eats you and keeps you in a sack. And there you go. Um, yeah. They're just, they're just kind of the. The, the paid thugs and but the most interesting paid thugs <laughs> but there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of body horror to it because weird things happen to you when tech neck fights and you always go back to normal later but it's a it's a lot of fun these guys so i'm going to cover the first appearance quickly gate crasher uh, again i'm going to use like my I, I just whatever character voice comes out here her first words we see are like well my little band of glittering socialites we are no longer resting we have a job yes it's party time again and they're they're after their their target uh yap calls her mother and she's like don't call me mother my name is gate crasher they're they're sent after this captain britain with a k but they end up fighting captain britain with a c and they fight betsy braddock and megan uh there's a moment when this is a running gag with megan where she's like you better try not you better not to try uh good lord you'd better not try to hurt brian you you hippopotamus and gate crasher says i hope child that hippopotamus is a term of deference you have definite possibilities don't squander them <laughs> and yap says snee 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 and she says stop sniggering reptile like there's a lot of really fun dialogue uh despite a lot of effort they end up capturing the wrong brian they take him to saturnine he's like you got the wrong guy and they end up killing Captain Britain with a K and she gets paid with dragon scales at the end. It's a, it's a fun, zany new character. And then they jump back in, in Captain Britain number 12, which is a little bit more of a gate, gate crasher, like POV story, which is a lot of fun. Uh, Captain Britain and Megan find her sitting under a waterfall and Megan says, why are you sitting under a waterfall hippopotamus? And she says, because sweet child, if I don't keep the bulk of this divine body chilled to the marrow, 10,000 parasite eggs, which I have foolishly ingested, are going to hatch and devour me from the inside. Which is, you're like, what? What's happening? 
<laughs> and she needs their Amazing. help because uh she, she, i don't know she the technet has left her she says due to artistic differences they are pursuing alternative careers and we get this weird story where she's gone to were world to spend her dragon scales but the full moons were out and a creature killed elmo and they hold a memorial for the, him at a bar, but then a pirate flirts with her and she kills the pirate. And then she has to offer her treasure to his crew to end things peacefully. And then Technet quit because the treasure is gone, except for Yap and Fascination. And then they join a time traveling group of mercenaries instead called the Special Executive, led by a cyborg wolfman named Wardog. And then Gatecrasher attends a party and meets a collector who has tasked her with receiving an ancient artifact from the Incas before a famous earthquake could strike, but the Incas fed Gatecrash her fruit <laughs> that contained parasites, and that's why she captured Captain Britain and Megan. And then she tasked Captain Britain with retrieving the antidote to the parasites, not realizing that Wardog had been behind all of her misfortunes in the attempt to get her to join the special executive, and she's saved as the earthquake hits the city, the end. So I just covered a really crazy story in like a couple sentences. That, I was like, how are you going to summarize all of that? I've read those <laughs> comics many times. I can never keep that whole plot straight in my mind. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Like, this is just sheer fun, this appearance. It's so delightful. Well, you know what? You know what we haven't mentioned uh, yet that I think is is very worth mentioning for 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 the the people who are interested in, in comics and comics history and where things come from is that so these are this is all marvel uk and marvel uk at the time is a different company they're making their comics in britain uh in england uh but you know with british editors british creators all of that um and so this this is a lot more it's less like a marvel comic and much more like 2000 ad this is like the crazy uh sci-fi stuff you see in Judge Dredd or in uh, Time Twisters or or uh, I forget what all the other strips they have in there are like I, I have, I'm not a huge uh, 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 expert on that stuff I haven't read that much but I've read a, a handful over the years from from various folks that uh, the, uh, whose stuff I pursued back to that and uh, it's very much in keeping with it. these characters are absolutely something out of 2000 AD as is the the wild the wild scenarios they come from. Uh, Anna, do you want to talk to us about Excalibur, the sword is drawn? This is often called Excalibur Special Edition number one. This is 1988, Claremont and Davis. It's so good. It is so good. I am on the record as saying it is my favorite X-Men comic. Right, I remember. Whatever comics XF. <laughs> go, go check that out, telling you everything about why it's great and how much it means to me personally. But, um... But yeah, I mean, there are many reasons I love that comic in particular. I mean, the continuation of the serial story that Claremont started in his X-Men run, sort of, you know, as a Nightcrawler fan, this character had been off the board in a coma. You don't know whether the character is going to come back. And then he comes back in this issue where he has just massive character growth that carries through um for most of the claremont and davis issues of excalibur you don't always our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too that's the beauty of noom they build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions medical issues and other personal needs so your plan works for you Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold that payoff as a longtime reader of superhero comics when you do get that payoff and I mean also the continuation of uh, Kate I noticed Kitty's story and Rachel's story as well having all of those characters stories picked up there so 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 gratifying for a longtime reader of these comics and you know to see their stories picked up with the trauma in place right so I mean the premise of it is that basically the characters that will form Excalibur, so Captain Britain and his girlfriend Megan, who we just talked about briefly, uh, Nightcrawler and Kitty Pride, and then later Rachel, who joins the team from Mojo versus the whole thing. But they watch their friends die on television. And the team is centrally defined by that trauma. So the X-Men aren't actually dead. They're just hiding out in the Australian outback, but these characters don't know that. And Kitty and Nightcrawler have been through their own traumas previous to this. They both got gravely injured during the mutant massacre. So they're coming into Excalibur with their powers all wonky. They basically have disabilities. That'll be a through line for a lot of the early issues. And yet, as we set off the top, right, there's this team that still manages to come together in this really hopeful way, in this really positive way to carry on the Xavier's dream, all of those like corny, wonderful things that, that, x-men do right and it's specifically rachel the most traumatized of all the characters who makes the big speech at the end before they have a wonderful group hug and like a flare of phoenix fire it's just beautiful one of the best pages in all of comics <laughs> it's a great I like stream it's worth fighting for yeah it's a yes, great yes. issue get crusher shows up at uh the door and pounds and yap calls her mother right before she goes salutations small and youthful sentience i grow weary of endlessly repeating myself lizard don't call me mother oh, if you weren't so infernally useful i am gatecrasher would you please inform the master and mistress of this domicile of my presence and then when she sees kitty and nightcrawler she says you terrestrial paraforms come and come in such stimulatingly spirited variety it never fails to amaze me and we meet uh four new members of the tech net here we've got body bag who's a big old lizard who swallows people and keeps them in a stomach sack. He's real gross. <laughs> and there's China doll, who's like a lithe woman with crystal colored skin and white hair who can shrink people to half the size by touching them. Uh, there's Waxworks, who, again, is like a little jellyfish-like, uh, but he makes someone turn into like a ragdoll, like all, all your body like functioning leaves and you just kind of flop down. And then there's Joy Boy. Uh, Jordan, tell us about Joy Boy. <laughs> so Joy Boy is not a baby, I don't think. But not actually. But he certainly looks like a cartoon baby. Like a big, fat cartoon baby floating around. Kind of like like on a little Grogu chair. Like a, little, like a baby mixed with a peanut? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit like that. Um, and he, he, like, he only, if I remember correctly, he only speaks in like baby coos and stuff a lot of the time. Um, and his deal is, uh, that he, he kind of grants wishes, but in the worst ways possible. Like, uh, he, 
well, what I know you've you got some examples here. I'm trying to remember some, some of the good ones. Uh, my my husband has this thing where he'll tuck our kids in every night and he gives them dreams. And there's a recurring fairy woman that shows up in the dreams and messes up their wishes. Like, <laughs> I wish I, I wish it wasn't so hot anymore. And then suddenly they're like frozen into an ice cube and like you know, that, that type of thing. And Joy Boy has that. Yes. It's like the wish gone wrong all the time. I mean, I, you, you you mentioned you, you mentioned. Uh... <laughs> I, of course why is this the one that's coming to my mind we're talking about body types there's the one where it, he makes kitty super fat because she can't she's not solid uh her the you mentioned her powers being stripped her natural state now is intangibility she has to work really hard to touch anything and so she wants to be solid and so he makes her so solid that she's enormous and like falls down on the ground uh pretty ridiculous and that's the kind of stuff that he does all the time uh he's pretty ridiculous he's pretty ridiculous it's hilarious though uh and gate crusher here uh <laughs> megan goes you it's the hippopotamus and she says salutation swaddling you appear as formidably lovely as ever i really love her so opal luna saturnine shows up we're not going to talk about the different saturnines right now but it's, no, it's too many it's variations of the same character is all you kind of need uh, Technet has been sent to retrieve Rachel Summers, who's the Phoenix. Uh, Rachel, again, we're not going to delve deep. We're going to assume you know who Rachel is, but we love her and she's amazing. Uh, uh, Kitty calls Gatecrasher a blimp. She doesn't recognize even what that insult is. Uh, Technet teleports in and they, Alan Davis drawing these characters is so fun. Uh, and there's a crazy big fight and they end up capturing Rachel and then the werewolves show up and Pharaoh dies and Gatecrasher says, I regret keeping him on the payroll because his warranty had expired, which is hilarious. Uh, there's a big fight and the war the werewolves and Technut are there and then they just get out of there. Like it's it's not worth the fight. And during this, we get the gag of China Doll getting knocked into Gatecrasher who gets reduced to half the size. And you just want to picture her voice like going up three octaves, like let's get out of here, right? Is the, <laughs> the, the gag. So she just teleports away. Like this is not worth it. We are in over our heads. This is a delightful issue, you guys go read this if you never have it's amazing or reread it if it's been a while it's it's an incredible incredible book um uh any comments on the sword is drawn before we continue oh yeah i mean again i, I just want to say like this is it's awesome how well uh chris picks up on this character and this group and writes them awesome because i mean again we i not this is not an insult to say that he's a guy who who loves writing the same characters as you said he likes bringing his own characters back that's like a thing he very much does so the fact that he was so great with these characters that he didn't create i mean alan davis presumably i would imagine alan was like let's bring these characters in because he co-created them that's a guess i have no idea if that's true but chris really took to them and absolutely nailed them kept them true to their their form and it's delightful it's so much fun uh, we see them again in Excalibur 12 and 13. There's a running gag with a character named Nigel Frobisher, who's like very foppish. And uh, he just, he wants to be a woman. Joy Boy like turns him into a version of Courtney Ross for a while. It's really, it's really fun storytelling, but we're not going to spend time on that one. And then we jump up to 1991. This is Excalibur 42, uh, which got referenced before. And this is really fun. Gatecrasher's been performing some experiments. Uh <laughs> 
They call her crazy. Uh, she yells, I, I heard that, you mutinous parasites. My voice is getting like slightly more Shakespearean every time I do her. <laughs> As we're talking, I don't know what's happening. Uh, but uh, she says, you know, you were all eager to join my little tech net uh, to share in the fat reward I negotiated with the Omniversal Majestrix. Uh, so they're after Phoenix again, uh, and they're trapped on Earth now. Uh, do you have comments on this story, Anna? It's it's a pretty fun. This is a great era of Excalibur here. We're talking about issue fifteen, right? Uh, Excalibur 40, 42. But... Oh, you're skipping ahead to that. Okay. Well, no if worries. you want to, if you want to step back, that's okay. I'm just I'm trying to keep. Oh this... no, we don't we don't necessarily have to. Fifteen is a complicated one. It's like the apartheid story that I mentioned before, where Gatecrasher is kind of a protagonist and uh they're gonna do one thing and then she confronts uh the evils of colonialism and decides to do another thing and i'm it's a complicated interesting story go back and read that one if you want oh is that the one with um what's his name uh dr crocodile it is is. yeah 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 do you want to actually spend a minute here for us i i think your interpretation of this would be really fascinating do you, like do you my wanna, interpretation? Yeah, do you want yeah, to spend just a minute on Excalibur <laughs> oh, 15? Geez. This is the one with Gatecrasher's face on the cover smiling. It's 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 pretty yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, again, what sort of fascinates me about this issue is just, and this is something I mentioned really briefly before, but like the choice of that character as the point of view character for this allegory about apartheid. I mean, it's like, I'm saying allegory. I mean, it is directly that with just like names changed, right? So it's complicated. This, there was this whole thing, this carries over from the... Uh, Davis and Delano, Captain Britain stories in which there was this agent who becomes uh, Doc Crocodile and Jamie Braddock is responsible for doing a lot of very bad things involving human trafficking, um, which Brian finds out about and leaves him down there and then he gets tortured by Doc Crocodile and his power is manifest and everything. Anyway, Gatecrasher goes down there and sees that Jamie is actually a horrible, horrible person and kind of turns against the whole mission which is an interesting point of empathy for this character because you can see that she has certain lines she won't cross and in this one it seems to be slavery and human trafficking which you know i wouldn't say that it makes the character heroic but it's still interesting to use that alien character as your point of view character and to give this character that much complexity because you know again we talked about technet as being basically kind of defined by their visuality but this is a real moment of character depth that I definitely wasn't expecting as a reader the first time I read through Excalibur so um it's an interesting issue I, I will put it that way certainly one that's worth reading yeah she's uh she's really interesting there the morals and the ethics that you're mentioning are really fascinating we also get a number of alternate earths here and Jamie Braddock is a fascinating character on his own uh, Dr. Crocodile oh, has a lot of problems <laughs> with the characters for another yeah. time. Uh, Jordan, do you have any comments on Excalibur 15? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, the whole Jamie Braddock story is nuts too, right? Like the fact that, he, again, he starts out as just Brian's brother. Like he's not, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, he's not introduced to be this <laughs> horrible crazy evil character he's just his brother the race car driver and the fact that they turned him into this yeah this guy who as you said was involved in slave trade and stuff it's like what is happening and then from there he goes even crazier and becomes like one of the most powerful mutants in the world so that's 
a very weird trajectory for this character. A very weird trajectory for this character. His yeah, uh, sort of his signature costume. Specifically... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, I was just like he's sort of specifically stand-in for uh, Mark Thatcher as well, Margaret Thatcher's uh, son. That's sort of one oh. of the contexts for that. Um, who also was involved in race car driving and some nefarious colonial dealings. Fascinating. I did. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Huh. The intellectualism of these is fantastic. Yeah, read Excalibur 15 as well. Uh, we'll have a more in-depth conversation sometime. But uh, Anna, thank you for tackling that one. It's, it's a prickly one. <laughs> it's going to be years years past the, the, the Brian Braddock issues we just talked about. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. We're jumping all over the place. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Excalibur 42 and 91, Davis uh, gives us Gatecrasher performing an experiment. They're trapped on Earth. And she has used some, uh, apparently she's got some science skills. She, she creates a, a secret weapon uh, named Hard-Boiled Henwee. <laughs> uh, Jordan, do you want to talk to us about Hard-Boiled Henwee? Okay, I'm going to shoot straight with you. It's Tweety Bird. It's Tweety Bird <laughs> in the Marvel Universe. Not legally, legally distinct. Um, no, it's a little Tweety Bird looking bird. And uh, he's in... Yeah, basically, they deliver him in an egg, and he cracks out of to Excalibur. He cracks out of the egg to surprise them, and he goes off like an extremely huge explosion. Like he's not a very small explosion. It blows the top off of the lighthouse that Excalibur is living in. Uh, it's it's interesting to me, and well, so this this turns into the Technic coming and attacking because thankfully uh, this doesn't kill Excalibur. <laughs> As, as you might think it would uh it goes into them fighting and they are ended up being saved by another representative of saturnine showing up and uh, freezing so, the so horatio cringebottom from the ministry for cross-time transport regulation monitor and control sanctions implementers department <laughs> it's very hairy cringe bottom nicely done <laughs> Uh, and he informs them that uh, that they're they're finally the contract to collect Phoenix is over. I mean, it's kind of hilarious that the Technet are still trying. It's been whatever it is, forty issues. Like, I you'd think that they were over it by now. I guess Kate Crusher does not realize that Saturnine and Phoenix have met since then. Like they've seen each other. They during the cross time caper, they they were face to face. Were they not, or did she escape? I can't remember now. She, it's been a well, long she time. and Yap escape at the end of this one. There's no, this... no. I mean, I mean, did Rachel did 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 Saturnine ever get to see Rachel in that? And I can't remember oh. if she ever did. That's an well, added question. What happened was, yeah, like she was dressed like, disguised... like like Kitty, right? Yeah, she was disguised as Kitty, but she clearly knew it was her, but kind of let them go anyway. Gotcha, gotcha. There you go. Uh, the... Anyway, yeah. The gag of the characters that talk in like the it's like LCD from uh, from Albert and LCD, the characters mm -hmm. that talk with their little speech impediments. Uh, Hard-boiled Henry makes me laugh really hard. And yes, there's a very Tweety Bird energy. And I I actually really hate Tweety Bird. He's like my least favorite Looney Tunes character. But uh, uh, he, he blows up and he explodes. And this is a character that comes back a few times. We also meet <clears throat> the character Numbers, who's like a big reptile guy with claws, and Pharaoh too, who's apparently the brother of the first Pharaoh. Uh, this is the thing. Uh, do you guys know the character Razor Fist uh, in, in oh, Marvel yeah. Comics? Uh, like the first one died, and then his brother becomes the new Razor Fist, and then his brother becomes another one. But all of them chop off their arms and replace them with blades. <laughs> Comics are <laughs> stupid sometimes. They sure are. <laughs> I think I you love mean numbers. wonderful. You mean wonderful. <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> no, so, I, I mean, love Numbers too because he's. He's such a huge 
monster. I mean, he's not scary looking, but he's like a big lizard. Like it, it, with a slight change of attitude, he would be a hugely frightening monster, but he's an accountant and he's very gentle and I, I, he's delightful. He's delightful. <laughs> uh, so at the end of this hard boiled Henry caper, Gate Crusher again is trapped on earth. She's trying to get off. Saturnine's keeping her here. She's got a mission. She's stuck, but it doesn't last for too long. We're going to skip over a couple of appearances. She shows up in Excalibur 51 and 56. And then we go to 1993. Well, I, I do just want to mention, because we're focusing on, on Gatecrasher, but she leaves the technet behind and they become led by Nightcrawler in an amazingly awesome okay. series of events. <laughs> we don't have to go into details there, but again, if, if any of this is interesting you, to you you should definitely check that out he calls them the end men which is a little ridiculous <laughs> which is a little ridiculous and puts them in red and blue x-men uniforms basically and tries to train them as a, as a two superhero team and it's amazing well These he specifically are... puts them in his uniform which is amazing <laughs> <laughs> so there's good. a lot of crazy stuff at excalibur you guys these are really fun issues and uh you can't see our faces of recording but like anna and jordan are glowing when they talk about excalibur it's really fun <laughs> absolutely uh, and any any commentary uh anna on the end men or the the tech nuts adventures alongside excalibur through this era Oh, well, I mean, the interesting part of it, I mean, it speaks to their status as mercenaries, as we were saying before, right? Because it's really not personal. You know, they don't have a home. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have a mission uh, at the end of that issue. So Nightcrawler's like, well, you can move in with us if you rebuild the lighthouse. <laughs> and Brian is very against this plan, but um, Kurt thinks it's a good idea. So, <laughs> And yeah, you see that there's no animosity, right? They're just going to live there and work with them and... Um, more more trials and tribulations are going to happen including them exploding the toilet in a memorable issue which will lead to some <laughs> dynamics between kurt and brian best but sound still, effect like in the comic so good <laughs> but um but yeah i mean that's like an interesting turn of events right to have them suddenly living with excalibur I recently did a reread of uh, Teeny Howard's whole run through Excalibur and Knights of X and uh, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain. And I'm realizing as we're visiting these early appearances, just how fun, the, like it does such a good job of capturing the early energy of this stuff. These are really fun books. Uh, good job, Teeny Howard. We we loved these books. Well, the and, and, and I mean, here's the thing. Like I said, like how many comic creators are, are Excalibur fans? We did... I forget how many parts it was. Was it a 26 part crossover or something like that called <laughs> 10 of swords, which is super grown out of a lot of this captain Britain and Excalibur stuff. It's got Saturn nine as a huge part of it. It redefines other world for the new era of X comics. And it has a lot of nuttiness um, while then also being serious and having extreme stakes with the apocalypse and his family. It's that was so much fun to do. Well, and X-Men Red coming back with Apocalypse and Genesis. Yeah, okay. We, we'll get lost in those weeds for a long time because I'm really excited. Yep. And then I want to ask Jordan all of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> we get a couple of weird Gatecrasher stories. In Excalibur Annual 1, there's a backup by Joey Cavalieri and David Bowler. There's a, a story called Honey is Money. Uh, Gatecrasher is back with TechNet here and they're attacked by a knight. And they go to another dimension to get some honeycomb nectar for Princess Flavia. And then there's this weird set of stories and it, it's, it's, it's not super consequential, but it's 
cute in its way. It's one of those weird, like, wait, why was that there? And we get another one of those in Marvel Comics Presents number 174. Uh, they, there's a team up with, I don't know, Lockheed. They go back and fight Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy in the Dinosaur Age. Anyway, then Claremont is on Fantastic Four in 1998. And he brings the Captain Britain Corps in, in like a major way for a period of time. And it's a very unexpected place to find them. But these are good stories. Uh, do you guys have comments on Claremont's Fantastic Four run? I didn't know that the Technet was in this run. I, this is not a run I was super familiar with. I found out that they were in it just recently when my my, my former Deadpool collaborator, Scott Koblish, drew his uh, giant... Fantastic Four 700 cover that includes pretty much every character that ever appeared in the series Fantastic Four ever, which by the way, he's a crazy person. That was his idea. He came to Marvel and went, can I do that? And we were like, yeah, yeah, of course. We would never ask an artist to do that. We couldn't. And then in talking about doing it, he was like, yeah, no, it wasn't that bad. Like, I just reread the entire series of Fantastic Four. I was like, what? How did you do that quickly? Anyway, I, I was pouring over it, going like, this is amazing. Oh, my God, you did such amazing work on this. Look at this. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's, what's the technet doing here? And he was like, oh, yeah, they were in they were in Claremont's run of it. I was like, what? Uh, so I just learned about this relatively recently. I was blown away. I was blown away. Hard-boiled, or I have to say it right, hard-boiled Henry is back. Oh, God. Uh, they've been sent to retrieve Franklin Richards, the thing, and his girlfriend Alyssa Moyer here. There's a moment where Joy Boy transforms Thing into human form and then gets, it, it's ultimately not a huge TechNet thing, but it's fun. These characters are used in a fun way. Uh, Gatecrasher's there. Uh, the Invisible Woman kicks Gatecrasher's ass for a minute. Uh but then there's another funny moment with Joy Boy where he gives Sue Storm her heart's desire and then she turns into like the consort of Namor. Oh, terrible. <laughs> <It's> so terrible. <laughs> and then there's more Warwolves and the Captain Britain Corps get involved and pretty I soon love Warwolves everyone. Too. Oh, so much fun. The Warwolves are great. Uh, do you want to talk about the Warwolves? What are the Warwolves, Jordan? Okay. What are the Warwolves? That's a really complicated <laughs> question. I guess they come from the Mojoverse. They're super weird. They're sh shiny silver dog things and they have beaks, but their deal is they, they bite you on the face and suck out your insides and then wear your skin and transform into your shape. That's a very they, good summary. And again, in keeping with the like kind of um, you know, workaday nature of a lot of the characters in Excalibur, they're just they have like weird names that are just like and then and they just like complain to each other all the time. You know what I mean? They're not they're not they're not caught up in the drama of it all. They're just again doing a job. And our job is to go find Phoenix by sucking out people's insides and pretending to be human. It's so weird. Uh and then eventually Excalibur captures them and puts them in a zoo where they live in a zoo, like sitting in lounge chairs and smoking pipes <laughs> and watching TV and reading the newspaper. It's so strange. Rachel has a baby one named Amazing yes. Baby. That's her little pet. And it says wank wank all the time. It's, <laughs> it's a cute little thing. Uh, Anna, are you a Warwolves fan? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, everything Jordan just said, I mean, it captures sort of the genre mixing and sort of weird and wonderful tone of Excalibur because they're both humorous characters and super horrific characters at exactly the same time. 
And I think that's what's great about him. Funny horror is a great genre. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love these conversations with people because it makes me form opinions that I didn't realize I had and then like solidify those opinions. Like I will think of TechNet and even early Excalibur different forever after this conversation, oh. even though I've read it all, but these are really fun to delve into. Uh, we see Gatecrasher and TechNet at, as guests at Captain Britain and Megan's wedding in Excalibur 125. They show up in Star-Lord for a minute. They're in Guardians of the Galaxy Mother Entropy for a second. I, I just want to mention it, that when we agreed to do this uh, episode, when we started talking about this a while back, is when I discovered that I had experienced a, uh, oh, what is it called? A um, What's the like the thing with the Bernstein Bears? Where people are like, I remember it differently, and uh, oh, you you like you, you had a memory that didn't turn out to be the way you remembered it when you yeah went, you're sure. Um, where I was absolutely convinced that there was a Technet miniseries, I was a hundred percent convinced when we started talking about this. I was like, well, I got we got to track down that Technet miniseries. Talk about that, <laughs> and it's like what? And I like literally like asked everyone. I like went to people in the Marvel archives and I'm like, was there a Technet miniseries? And they were like, no. <laughs> definitely not what no um and i asked other editors and it was just like no so it it, but i was absolutely like no 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 there definitely was there wasn't there wasn't so uh, okay i'm crazy i dreamed it (laughs) uh and then we get my favorite tech night set which is saying something because these are really fun rocket number one through six Rocket is a Al Ewing and Adam Gorham series. Al Ewing is a brilliant writer. I've interviewed Adam Gorham uh, on my show. He's so great. This is a noir series about Rocket Raccoon. Uh, Anna, do you want to talk about Rocket a little bit? I don't know if you'd read this before. It's so fun. I hadn't read this particular series before. I've read a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy in my time. But um, yeah, (laughs) Rocket had gone through an interesting evolution in this series. I very much took note of the fact that he doesn't kill people anymore. I mean, his catchphrase was famously, I murdered you. Um, he doesn't <laughs> murder people anymore, which is which is the change. Uh, he's been through a few different evolutions, which Ewing really smart. I mean, part of what makes Al Ewing so great is the character-based nature of his storytelling, but also the way that he incorporates deep continuity yet makes it all make sense. And he does something here that he's also done with characters like Nova and Star-Lord really well, which is like use the complexity of their continuity as character building. And so you have Rocket sort of defined by trauma and like the ways that he's changed are reflections of his character and all the pain that he carries with him because of all these things that have happened to him, which is such a wonderful way of using all the continuity, but also making it make sense and like building a more complex character sort of on the foundation of that continuity. I mean, again, Ewing is just the master of that. Just such a good uh, continuity storyteller. But yeah, like not series... in a way that you're a slave to continuity, but you're using it to build something, right? This series is like, it's only six issues, but it's like a noir version of like Ocean's Eleven, but with like stuffed animals and, and space aliens. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. It's delightful. And we're not going to cover it in depth, but it is definitely worth your time. The technet well, is also used here in ways that are so fun. They use their powers in really imaginative, creative ways. Uh, they Gatecrasher is Rocket Raccoon's love interest which is hilarious because he's like two feet tall and she's like eight feet tall and they flirt back and forth. 
Uh, they use hard-boiled Henry to break into a bank vault, and uh, the Technet's working with Rocket, but several of them have broken off from Gatecrasher. So there's like a, a fight over who's going to be which Technet. Uh, Gatecrasher and her side are like waiting in the vault. Uh, and there's like messages from the future that go back and forth. And it, it's it's a really delightful series. Al Ewing, again, I hope to meet him someday, is just brilliant. And Jordan, I know oh. you can work with Al. He's so good. Well, I mean, so I feel bad mentioning it this late in the game because it sounds like you might not know this, but I edited this book. <laughs> I did know this, actually. I'm coming. Okay, okay. It. Um, yeah, like I reached out to Al because I had just kind of taken over Guardian's for pretty soon after the soon before this, I mean, and he had been doing great work on FF and also he had done great work on uh Jennifer Blood for I forget what company that's for. Um he did great work on that too. And I was just like, yeah, I want to I work with this guy. And when I called him, he just was like, Can I do Rocket like it's a Parker book in space? And I went, What? <laughs> what do you mean? Um and I confirmed with Al that it was my suggestion because I didn't want to say it was say it if it wasn't true. It was my suggestion that I use TechNet. I was like, I figure it was because I love them so much, but it could have been yours. And he was like, no, no, it was yours. I remember that being like a condition. You were like, if you could put in the TechNet, you could do your crazy idea. Um, and I'm so glad I did because you mentioned how good he is with continuity. He's amazing with it. You can throw anything at this guy and he will make it not only like work, but like important and matter to the story he's telling i just did an uh, entire episode on this on the character peepers who he yeah, his yeah. Sword. and when you look at peepers entire history what al did with peepers is just brilliant and this is not a character anyone thinks about uh so yeah go back and listen to that episode if you haven't it's wonderful what he did with them here is it's so much fun and again i've been a fan of the technet the whole time because I loved them since the first time I saw them in, in Excalibur and then going back to their Captain Britain appearances. But I feel like the way that Al wrote that relationship between Rocket and Gatecrasher and took her, took her, to say take her, took her seriously doesn't feel right, but like not only took her seriously, but like took her seriously the same way she takes herself seriously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it made me, like her so much more as a, a a realized character um not just a ridiculous fun person who pops up in in nutty comics every once in a while uh it it is because and it's nuts because like you said it is still kind of silly it's animals doing crime in space it's rockets wearing a suit a, a suit it's very silly but it takes itself seriously in just the right way and it it he pulls it off. He pulls it off perfectly. Not nearly enough people. This is another book. Not nearly enough people read this book. Not even close. You you have to check it out. You have to check it out. It's so good. Uh, there's prison breaks. There's bank heists. There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, I, I'm i going to cover some of it, the stuff between Gatecrasher and Rocket in a tidy bit more detail, but go read this series. You will. It has a guest, a guest appearance in one issue by Deadpool and Al nailed the character of deadpool in one issue perfectly <laughs> so much so that i'm like sad that he's never had a run on deadpool he would be amazing at it so gatecrasher gets the tech net back and there's a moment where uh she's having rocket arrested she says ready the procrutudinous pest for arrest and he goes procrutudinous hey you ain't so bad yourself she goes don't get any ideas you i never date those i incarcerate uh it's so funny uh we get we get a caption later that says 
Enter the Dame, Gatecrasher. Normally, rockets tastes run to more aquatic animals, but there are aquatic mammals. But there was something about this one, the way she filled any room she was in, all class and power. In another time and another place, they could have made some loud, pretty loud music together. But here and now, she was the leader of the TechNet, the Mercs that had sent him here to begin with. So it is like this very noir feel to the whole thing. Uh, they end up working together. They're robbing Beavertron. Uh, there's another <laughs> caption about her that says, seven feet of raw presence, a mind like a steel trap and a voice like honey over a scorpion's tail. If Rocket were smart, he'd run a light year away, but nobody said he was smart. It's so good. And they finished the heist together. Well, wait, wait, hold on. I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got go to go talk ahead. about the best bit, which is in the middle. And you, you, you pointed it out and you're here, but you skipped over it just now. My favorite bit is, again, she just loves like details of contracts. She, They are hired to arrest him. And then after he's already in prison, they come to break him out of prison because they've realized that there's no end date on the contract to bring him in. So if they free him, they can capture him again over and over again and, and keep cashing him in for the same reward. <laughs> yes. And so she's like, yeah, we're here to break you up so we can catch you again. <laughs> oh, Amazing. Okay. I love it. It's okay. so fun. Uh, she gets reduced to an inch tall at the end. And uh, there's Otta Spice, who's a like otter woman. Anyway. Uh, the, I don't know if I ever realized. Sorry. I don't know if I ever. I could have just forgotten. But I might have never realized until I read it here in this document that her name is Outer Space. Otta Spice. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is so silly. <laughs> Uh, but the, the last caption I'll read, uh, even at an inch tall, she filled the room. Funny. It was only in that moment that Rocket realized his whole life he'd never met anyone like her. Maybe he'd never met anyone like that again. And she likes him, but he's in love with Lila. Or, so anyway, okay, it ends. This is a great series, you guys. It's really, really wonderful. And the entire TechNet is used to just wonderful, incredible effect. It's easily my favorite story, which is saying something because these characters are fun in multiple appearances. The one with the bees is my least favorite. <laughs> also about Rocket, uh, for, for people who are ex-fans and fans of the current Krakoan era, it's the first appearance of Murd Blurdock, uh, important lawyer of the new mutants so which again that was just a place where they were going we need a space lawyer and i went i, I know a space lawyer. <laughs> i know a space lawyer and we brought back murd blurdock I love how Al Ewing has woven some of his crazy characters like Cordyceps Jones into the modern stuff. It's it's really uh, no, he didn't do it again. That was well, I mean, it was his suggestion. But Jerry is the one who wrote him in, and he was just going. I need like a space thing, and Al was like, "Well, I made this guy up. What do you think?" And suggested it to Jerry, and Jerry was like, "Yeah, I'll run with that. I love it. It's so great." So it's also the first appearance of that character from from Jerry Duggan's X Men uh, is in this series. So absolutely, it's it's very much worth checking out. The last place we see Gatecrasher and Tecna is in Mr. and Mrs. X number two, 2018. Wonderful series as well, which introduces Zandra, the, the current uh, leader of the Shi'ar Empire. Uh, and uh, the, the Technet fights uh, Rogan Gamut and Deadpool. Uh, as, we're, as we're kind of uh, concluding, what are your thoughts on this character? What does she represent to the Marvel Universe? Uh, and then kind of a supplementary question. What's the story we need about her? What do you want more of? Uh, Anna, what are your thoughts? Well, we clearly need that TechNet miniseries, which I desperately want to read now as well. <laughs> <laughs> seems like we had it. I agree. It seems like it exists. And yet here we are. Anyway, I don't work in the X office, so I'll leave that in capable hands. But um, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you know, you said some wonderful things about the Rocket series and and the characters portrayal there. I mean, that just made me super excited in terms of fulfilling a lot of the hopes that I had for the character from some of her earlier appearances. I love the thing you said about, you know, takes her as seriously as she takes herself and, you know, treats her as exactly as glamorous as she views herself through Rocket's eyes, right? Just like a wonderful depiction of the character. I mean, I don't know what the future for this character is going to be in comics, if she's going to have a future in comics, but certainly a series like that makes you feel like she could have a future in comics. And I would love to see that version of the character uh, come back again. But even if we only get what we got in Rocket, I'll be happy. She's such a she's such a strange side character. It's she's a hard sell. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I <laughs> as much as I want that Techno miniseries to have been real, I, I do sort of understand why it didn't happen in the yes. first place, unfortunately. <laughs> um like like there there as much as I've said, you know, Excalibur is a, a comic fan's comic, uh, and a lot of people do love it, they're not they're by far not the most popular part of it for sure. They're just a quirky thing that happens in it. And I'm sure i will com- continue to try to uh get them into places when i can i i wish i could say gatecrasher would be a character <laughs> who would come forward yeah who would be like oh she'll, let's have her be like again a, like a love interest in a new run on a big comic but i i don't think i don't think most people would go for it unfortunately i, I wish that she could get more i wish she she deserves better you know, a few years ago, nobody liked Nanny and Orphan Maker very much either. You know what? You're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, the Get right Crusher, person can come along. Get Crusher is a character I would love to see in a featured space as a as a prominent villain. I would love to hear some backstory. I like the humor around her and the mystery, but I also like the this like businesswoman approach, uh, balanced by the vulnerability and like the the glamour. I think she's a really fascinating character. I genuinely have a lot of affection for her. Uh, uh, and uh, perhaps in a year or so, I'll invite the two of you back for a Warwolves conversation. <laughs> we'll explore these guys. Uh, we uh, we're just gonna focus on Scarpa though. <laughs> deep dive on Scarper. As we uh, as we do these episodes, I always want to like be respectful of time, and I, I hope uh, listeners aren't feeling like I glossed over too much here because I want to cover this thoroughly, but also like uh, like not take uh, like not take hours of time from these guests that are offering their time generously. Uh, but thanks- this is the most thoroughly any person on earth has ever talked about it, Gatecrasher ever. Like, let's be fair. <laughs> I did two and a half hours on Vera Cantor and like an hour and a half on Fred Duncan. Like, I I can go for a while. <laughs> uh, but this has been a genuine delight I, I know both of you are very busy and, and in high demand so thank you what an honor to spend this evening with you both uh, we're going to put this episode out on the Patreon initially on uh, August 16th as we're wrapping up is there anything you guys would like to plug and uh, where could people find you if they'd like to find you if you want them to find you <laughs> uh, Anna do you want to go first here Sure. Uh, you can find me on all the usual social places. I'm still on Twitter entirely too much and a bunch of handles. My name, Papard underscore Anna. You can also find me at the Twitter account Sequential Scholars, where we do Twitter essays about fabulous comics. At the time of this episode dropping, I think we're actually going to be doing a series on Mojo Mayhem. So look out Ooh, for that. Very relevant fun. to this discussion. 
Um, you can also find me at the Ogasho Galio Wow podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, talking about Excalibur each and every week with some super smart friends. And you can also check out my book, Super Sex, Sexuality, Fantasy, and the Superhero. It's an academic anthology, all about representations of gender and sexuality in superhero comics. It's 40% off the new paperback edition from University of Texas Press. Go to the University of Texas Press website and get it for like 20 bucks right now. People are buying it and enjoying it, and why not you too? What a wonderful summer read, and it looks super sexy on your shelf, even if you don't read it. And isn't that what we all want from the books? Uh, Etta, you're phenomenal, and I love your show. I hope my show matches your show's energy in that it really makes you think, but also makes you laugh a lot. Like, there's such joy <laughs> in just nerding out, but also making you very intellectual and thinking things through. Uh, Anna was on my show with the Excalibur Minus One issue. You can go back and listen to that again as well. Mm -hmm. I really adore your insights, uh, and I hope to hang out again in the future. Uh, over to Jordan. Uh, yeah, um, you should check out X-Men comics. Um, <laughs> they're pretty good. We're going to be at, like after Fall of X at this point. I'm very, I'm very. Well, I mean, not after, it. after it began. Um, yeah. So again, at this point, everybody's really bummed about what happened at the gala. Everybody's really shocked by what happened in X-Men 25. <laughs> and you're all checking out the beginnings of all the Fall of X series. So hopefully you will continue to enjoy those. We've got lots of plans for things during Fall of X and we've got even bigger plans for after that. So so uh, check them out and enjoy them. Uh, in addition, uh, I I think I mentioned I do a podcast. My I do a horror podcast called um, uh, Nature Trail to Hell. We did a season about the Friday the 13th films. We did a season about all the Texas Chainsaw films, some of which are pretty bad, let me tell you. And then we are, uh, I believe at this point, we should be partway through a, a season about the Purge films. Those are super fun. Well, they have a really super fun content concept. So let's see if people like it. Oh, by the way, the concept of the podcast is that I'm a horror movie fan and I've seen all these movies and my good friend Stefan uh, has not seen these movies. And so we're watching them together and we talk about them and it's a good time. Uh, so check it out. Nature Trail to Hell. Uh, and Jordan, we're recording this in mid-July. So by the time we drop this in mid-August, people will have lots of things to share. <laughs> like, I just read, uh, we, we we recorded this on New Comics Day. So I just read Immortal X-Men and uh, X-Force like two hours before. They're both so great. I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying this era. So keep up the amazing work, man. You're putting together, like, it's just such a cool time to be an X-Men fan. And to be interfacing with the professionals behind it at this level is just such an honor. Thank you. Thank you for being here again. I, uh, thank you for saying so. I was I was talking to some of my friends. I'm like, I get to hang out with Jordan White twice this week. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy. <laughs> uh, but but I, but listen, no. I, let me say, I you know, I'm so thankful to be able to work with such talented people on the books. Like I, I'm really excited that uh, to get to work with Jerry, to get to work with Karen, to get to work with Al, and all of the terrific people that have been on the X books recently and in this future. Um, yeah, there's uh, as of the time we record this tomorrow, we're about to announce a a big one that I can't even tell you about yet, but it's really exciting. There, there's some, some awesome people uh, are working on stuff. So um, yeah. thank you so much for saying that. It, it it makes me feel really good to know that people are enjoying it. I, uh, I've i got all kinds of X-Men prequel ideas, man. Hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but the two of you are welcome to add me. You can find Gray Malkin PP Like Podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore lane on Instagram. Uh, I will be doing the con circuit this summer, and there's some really fun stuff happening at FlameCon, the Uncanny Experience, and FanX, the local convention here in Salt Lake City. So watch for the panels I will be hosting and or facilitating. It's going to be a lot of fun. 
the next episode out on the main show immediately after this one is going to be X-Men The Hidden Years numbers 17 and 18 featuring the incredible writer Daniel Kibblesmith who I'm so excited to meet uh, right after that on this channel the next uh, Patreon episode is going to keep featured the weird Fabian Nisi as a character Fontanelle uh, she's an odd one from the Gambit volume 3 series she may or may not be Cyclops's great grandma and she's like a chain smoking drag queen sleep therapist uh, it's gonna be a great time with Demanda Martini and Justin Kosmachuk uh, so uh, tune back in thank you everybody for listening thank you Anna thank you Jordan uh, we'll see you back here next time on the Patreon channel